Welcome, everybody, to episode number 10 of the AFG Local 3369 podcast. Welcome, everyone. My name is Edwin Osorio. I am your host for today. We also have as guest hosts, we have Todd, we have Nicole, and we have Davindra. And today, we have a very, very special guest. He hails all the way from Texas, Mr. Joel Smith. Hello, Mr. Joel Smith. Well, yeehaw, and thank you very much for having me, Edwin. Just what we wanted to hear, a little bit of yeehaw. Uh, we all understand, well, some of us understand you're from Local 3184, but I think there's more to you than that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Yeah. No, my name is Joel Smith. I'm a president of AFG Local 3184. Uh, it's a local that covers from Chinley, Arizona, New Orleans, Louisiana. We're social security employees. I'm the District 10 Young Coordinator, which means I kind of help mentor union reps who are under the age of 40. I am the Council 223rd Vice President, which is... Uh, area that covers, well, the old United States for Social Security employees, and uh, I wear a lot of hats. Uh, and I'm also a, uh, well, everybody wants to hear this, I'm a law student, I'm a third-year law student uh, at South Texas College of Law, and I'm also very tired all the time. Well, I just <laughs> all those hats that you wear, you probably don't sleep a whole lot. Uh, it's called Adderall. <laughs> you, heard, you want to go to law school and you want to be successful, Adderall is a ticket. <laughs> It doesn't hurt. I'll tell you that, Edwin. Well, today's topic is the vaccine mandate and how it affects federal employees. Now, if you're a federal employee, you certainly have heard of a vaccine mandate. But if you happen to be coming from outer space and you're not aware of it, what is the vaccine mandate? Yeah, that's a good question. And to be honest with you, there is a lot of confusion over this. I mean, infinite amounts of confusion. And, and basically the gist of this is this, is in September of 21, in response to um, COVID, uh, or, or the COVID outbreaks, uh, President Biden issued four executive orders. Um, and those four executive orders tied to different things. One was an OSHA mandate that basically said, if you were going to operate a company of more than 100 people, um, all your employees were required to get a COVID vaccination with the exception of religious or disability accommodations. Um, or if you were the military, there was another executive order for that. Or if you were an employee in a health providing organization, such as a hospital, you had to get it. Or what we're probably going to talk about in the majority of today, which was executive 14043, which basically said if you were an employee of the federal government or a contractor through the federal government, then you were required to have a federal, uh, excuse me, you were required to have a COVID vaccination, Pfizer, the Moderna, or the Johnson & Johnson, um, by December of 2021. Uh, and so it's likely that specific executive order of federal employees um, or federal contractors must have a vaccination of COVID uh, in order to remain as an employee of the federal government. Well, Joel, now working for the federal government, I'm sure you know that our constant is always changing. So anything that we do is always going to change. It always does change. Has the original vaccine mandate changed? And if so, how did it change? Well, ironically, the answer to that question is, it depends on what form we're looking at. And the answer I think you're looking for is really no. Um, the, the short answer is, is everybody remembers, okay, we had this big Supreme Court decision. It said, okay, there's not going to be a, a, a vaccine mandate. Well, that's where the court had overruled turning over the OSHA requirement. They basically said the president's authority through OSHA doesn't extend to private or private companies to say that you must have, as a condition of employment, a COVID vaccination. 
the Supreme Court over overruled that one or invalidated that particular executive order. There was another executive order where we talked about the HHS one, but basically said, if you're going to be a hospital or a healthcare provider that receives funds through Medicare, then as a string to receiving that money for Medicare, the court said the president's totally within their authority to uh, employees who work for healthcare providers that receive Medicare funds, they must, you know, Oh, I think we, when, it to the, when it came to the military, uh, what they said was the presence within authority to do that. But here's the tricky one. We go back to, again, federal employees specifically under 14043. The answer is we don't point. It gets confusing. Um, so a lawsuit was filed by an organization called Feds for Medical Freedom in the Southern District of Texas, right near me uh, in Galveston, Texas. Uh, trial court judge and trial court judge had said basically to the extent that the president's authority supreme court decision has established that this mandate is conduct issue it's a change in condition of employment and the president doesn't have the unilateral authority to change a condition of employment the government filed an appeal to that decision uh, circuit in the appeals court, the appeals court came back and said, the judge, the trial court judge doesn't have the right to hear this decision and should have never rendered a decision. So they dismissed um, that trial court's decision. And then the feds for medical freedom requested something what's called an unbond. Basically means is when a, when a circuit hears an appeal, it's usually three judges. And they say that basically we don't agree with the decision of these three judges. And we feel like if all the, all the circuit court of judges heard this thing, they would rule differently. So what you have to do is you have to request a petition to the circuit court judges saying, hey, we all please hear this case, all of you, all together. Okay. And they do a petition to all the circuit court in whatever district. That's when it's the fifth. And so in the fifth circuit, there's currently 17 federal appellate court judges and more than half of them agreed to hear it all together. So currently, <laughs> and when they did so, they reversed the decision of the appeals court. And when they did so, they said, we're going to hear hearings. I believe it's on September 9th. If my memory is on September 9th, they're going to hear the whole hearings. And the issue is going to be whether or not the federal district court is the appropriate venue to hear the rule that it is not then this is going to be, you know, it'll be reversed. And then the lawsuit would be, have to be filed through MSPB. So the point being is this, is the law still is the law. The question is whether or not it's been filed appropriately. And if it has been determined that this is the law, then it could be very well that federal employees may be required to have a federal vaccinate or have a COVID uh, vaccination as part of their employment subject to discipline should they not do it. Well, does does it affect all the federal employees? And are there any exceptions for any federal employees? So that, that's actually a really good question, Nicole. And this is where we start getting EEO law. The law itself actually one. But there are exceptions, right? Everybody has a right under Title Seven under EEO. And President Biden's been very clear about that, that they want to respect that. The likely two in terms of EEO that federal employees or really any employee would look at 
would be either one, you know, please don't make me take this or I shouldn't have to be a take disability. Example, if I have an autoimmune disease where, say, a, you know, Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson Johnson vaccine might result in serious bodily injury myself, I shouldn't have to inflict serious bodily injury to myself to maintain my job. That That's one uh, possibility. The other going to get a little tricky, I think, is going to be in terms of religious beliefs. So under Title VII, uh, a person it can receive a reasonable accommodation for their religious beliefs, so long as it's a sincerely held belief. And in that, um, there's no undue burden to their employer to respect that. So if you, for example, um, have an autoimmune disease uh, where you might you know, be able to establish that should you be able to, you know, it, should you take this vaccination, it could kill you or harm you, right? We, you don't have to take this. We'll find another way to accommodate you. Or, right, if you have, for example, religious belief that where I shouldn't be required to put anything in my body and required to keep my body and soul pure, um, and you can establish that that is your sincerely held belief, then the employer is generally held to where it must accommodate your religious beliefs. So if the answer to your question is, does it apply to Yes. Are there exceptions to it? Yes, based on Title VII of EEO law. And Joel, how can an employee file for an exception? So that's going to depend upon their federal agents. We start specifically with telling your supervisor or telling a member of management. One thing I would encourage everybody to do is when you have that conversation, document because you don't want to release the confusion in regards to there not being a, um, you know, that conversation never happening. So it would start with something to the effect of, you know, hey, Edwin, uh, you're my supervisor. Um, I understand you're informing me that I'm required to have a vaccination mandate or I'm required to have a COVID-19 vaccination. And in doing so, there's something I need to let you know. I would like to be accommodated on this because I might have an autoimmune disease or it's against my belief, my religious practice not to have that, I would hypothetically have to provide proof medically, religious belief, your employer has the right to ask you questions about that. Um, but you would just start by having the conversation and documenting that conversation and hopefully supporting your, your allegations. You know, it's wonderful to hear that there are exceptions. I know, I know that's going to be really important for employees to know. And equally as important, because you assume if there are going to be many exceptions that are being requested, some of them are going to be denied. And what an employee really needs to know is what kind of recourse do they have if their exception request is denied? Yeah, sure. So there's, there's two routes. So usually when you begin your request for an accommodation, uh, what you're doing is you're, you're saying, hey, just like we discussed earlier, you know, supervisor, I'm requesting X. Your employer might come back and say, hey, either one, we don't believe that you've you've established that you actually have, say, a sincerely held religious belief um, or two. Right. They might come back and say uh, you have established this. However, your beliefs cause an undue hardship. And either one of those would result in a denial. So then what happens is you have either an appeal right. So usually agencies have a second set of ears where you can provide documentation, have that. That being said. Many of the times those tend to be a rubber stamp. So if those are denied, if your re request for reasonable accommodation is denied, it's very likely you're going to discipline um, if, if this goes the way it goes um, through, say, a denial of MSPB. 
Um, but if it is denied, you could always file formal litigation through the EEOC or the agency's failure to accommodate. The burden would be on you to show that either one, you have that condition or two, you have that sincerely held belief and then you'd be entitled to damages. So like, for example, if you lost your job, you'd be entitled to lost wages or you'd be entitled to, you know, pay. for example, uh, recently uh, we had a case the other day, uh, or excuse me, a couple where an employee had um, her accommodation was denied unreasonably. So, and, and the EEOC agreed and the employee ended up receiving roughly $150,000 between compensatory damages and you know, pain and suffering. So an employee who documentation to establish they would otherwise qualify would be entitled to be made whole through the courts if they can establish that they were so. Now, as we are the front line for, for employees, so to speak, what can the union do to, to help an employee regarding the vaccine mandate? Sure. Well, first of all, I think there's a, so I think this podcast is a great start because the reality is, is employees need to be informed. So currently, the last I saw, I think roughly 5 to 7% of all federal employees have not yet taken a COVID vaccination or they've not yet filed for reasonable accommodation. So employees need to know that, hey, if you've not done so or if you have your religious practices uh, or disability practices that would prevent you from doing so, you need to file a reasonable accommodation. We're responsible for educating, informing, and, and, and enforcing those rights. Uh, the next thing is after they file it, right, we need to make sure that they get the appropriate documentation. And then if they're denied, we need to go through the process of appealing it. Another one, and, and the system with that, case law and evidence and everything comes in. But there's another element to this, too, that's very important, and I think a lot of people forget, is if all of a sudden, if taking a COVID vaccine is actually a mandate and does become a condition of employment, then the individuals that do choose to get the vaccination um, and do consequences as a result of that, um, the union can assist those individuals with workers' benefits. Because the reality is, is that as a result of a condition of your employment and you're harmed in doing so, you're now entitled to benefits under workers' compensation. Well, Joel, you've given us a wealth of information, and I think uh, after listening to this podcast, we're all going to feel like we are a lawyer for a day. So I want to thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And I would add, please don't take your legal advice from a podcast. There you go. <laughs> Just plain, plain liabilities coming our way um you've been a font of information i just want to know is there anything that i should have asked you that i didn't ask you uh well i, I think you've really kind of hammered in there edwin but th what i would tell people at this point is remember that although it seems like this thing goes away and it doesn't go away or there's a lot of confusion there i think the reality is, is that individuals or, or federal employees they they deserve the true facts over puffery Right. I do not know where this thing is going to go. I cannot give legal advice where this is going to go. I don't know. I will say that it would be very unusual for the district court to be able to hear a case of this matter. Um, and it, but it's also very unusual for the Fifth Circuit to even hear a case on bonk. I actually went and checked about the last five years for the number of cases that were filed versus the number of cases that were heard on bonk. And it was less than 0 0.017 of petition requests were heard on bonk in the Fifth Circuit, which means the federal circuit judges want to have a decision on this case. If they, if that the Fifth Circuit was the appropriate, excuse me, the district court was the appropriate case to hear those, 
then they'll make their decision. The government could appeal it and it could go to the Supreme Court to be heard on whether or not the district court even had authority to hear this case. If, if they, they rule that it's not, that could be appealed as well, but then it would have to go through MSPB. And here's why I say this. This is incredibly important. If the Fifth Circuit decides that this case can't be heard on the trial court, then this case would have to be filed through the MSPB. People need to be aware of it. a serious backlog. Currently, there's 3,500 cases or over 3,500 cases on the MSP backlog. If that's the case, we are likely not looking at a decision on this issue for seven to eight years. The reason wow. the trial court made a decision to issue an, an injunction, which is just a fancy way of saying, hey, don't do anything yet, right? The reason the trial court judge issued an injunction on this mandate was because he said that there's imminent um, injury that, that can't be undone. There's no guarantee the MSPB would do the same. Um, it's very possible they wouldn't. So if an employee, um, or excuse me, if an employee, if this case gets reverted back to where they say it cannot be heard at the it would be filed the MSPB. If the MSPB decides not to issue any abeyance of any choice, then it is almost certain that employees will have conduct issues rendered upon them for not following Executive Order 14043 and not engaging in the condition of their employment of getting a vaccine. So as a result, employees will likely be terminated and they will not be able to have a hearing for the next seven to eight years to determine whether or not they'd be eligible to have their job back. So these are the things to take in consideration. So if you do not have a religious practice, if you do not have a disability practice, or excuse me, a disability, then it's very, very likely that you could be facing very severe discipline if this case is overturned on bonk on September 22nd. That sounds like a, a scary thing to, uh, to have to deal with. And hopefully the court will decide in our favor, but we'll just have to wait and see. And but Joel, just let, let's just be clear. The, uh, the MSPB is. Oh, thank you. Merit Systems Protection Board. So here's, here's the short version. Let me, let me, and I can add on to this to make this make sense. So, <laughs> All these federal courts, right? And all federal districts and all these federal circuits. And so there was years where employees in the federal government were able to file lawsuits at different district courts. This would result in several different decisions. And so as a result, uh, in 1978, Congress passed the Civil Service Reform Act that basically tried to limit this, these issues. And it said that Congress, federal employees need to issue their lawsuits through the um, MSPB. In this case, Feds for Medical Freedom, they filed the trial court, just like that used to occur before 1978. So that's where it comes back to. It's not necessarily did the court in Galveston, the Southern District, make the right decision. It's whether or not the district court had the authority to even make this decision. The appeals court said, no, can't even render whether or not you know your, your decision isn't binding because you don't have the authority to make the decision now the appeals court on bonk meaning all the appeals judges they have the authority to determine whether or not it was the appropriate place to make it a decision so that's, that's where it comes to that it's basically where's the right place to file your law what i tell people, for example is y'all live in new york in texas right if we have an argument They'll file a complaint in Wyoming. Wyoming has no control over us, right? Same thing. It's your federal employees. 
you have an argument, you're supposed to file this in MSPB. One of the famous cases on this that federal employees might remember is in 2017, uh, Donald Trump had issued some executive orders that changed a lot of contracts, official time, um, things that involved contracts for the, for the or collecting bargaining agreements. That case was, um, or the decision of that executive order was overturned in Washington, D.C., but now Supreme Court Ju- Justice uh, Ketanji Brown uh, Jackson, and so that was overturned on appeal because they said she doesn't have the authority to make that decision. We could very well be looking at a similar decision on this. Well, at any rate, I would say that the best course of action is get in touch with the union rep and find out what your rights are and, um, and stay tuned because whatever is true today may not be true tomorrow. But at any rate, Joel Smith, I want to thank you for your time. You, you, you've given us a lot to think about and you've been very generous at your time. So thank you very much. And I'll be happy so much, Joel. Oh, thank and you. Of Local 3369 and C220. I want to say goodbye to everybody and see you at the next podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.